Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So here's what we were doing in this series as we wrap it up. This is our fifth week in this series uh, called From This Day Forward. We've been asking a question that's pretty important. Is our, uh, our rela- great relationships possible? Are great relationships possible? And uh, actually, I talked to one guy this past week, and he said, yes, they're possible, but not with my spouse, with my dog. And, uh, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I said, tell me, tell me what you mean by that. He said, well, he said, my, my wife doesn't always love me. He said, my, my dog does. And I said, I, I, go a little further. Unpack that for me. He said, well, perfect example. He said, if I were to take my wife and I take my dog and I lock him in a trunk for an hour of my car, he said, who's going to be happy to see me when I open that trunk? <laughs> I see your point. Now, listen, if you're taking notes, those are the wrong notes to take, okay? That's not what I'm, I'm not telling you to lock anybody up to see, all right? I'm just saying. <laughs> but... The reason we're asking this question about relationships is because relationships are tough. In fact, each and every single one of us has a broken relationship somewhere in the past. We know the pain of dating, maybe even the pain of divorce. We've all been stung by it, and so it's a great question to ask. And the answer to, are great relationships possible, is no, they're not. If you're going to do things the way the world does them. If you're going to live like them, if you're going to think like them, if you're going to do things their way, then no, it is not possible. You're actually going to have, if you do things their way, if you think their way, then you're going to have the world's, um, the, the world's results, which by now, right now, you need to know that in marriage, that's a 50-50 shot. 50% of marriages end in divorce. If we do things their way, that's exactly what we have. The good news is, is God has something better. But if you want that better, which most people do, does anybody want better? Can I get an amen out there? Yeah, see, there's people, some people don't. They're like, I'm not lifting my hand. I got better right here. We're good. Yeah, listen, God has something better for you. And we all want better, but we don't want to change how we live. We don't want to change who we are. If you want better, you got to do things God's way. You got to understand what he tells us to do. And so we have to look into his word. And when we look there in his word, what we find the first thing that we all need is what we call a do-over. We all need an opportunity to have a blank page or to hit that reset button and get a fresh start. Because all of us have the pain of past relationships, we've got to hit that reset or get a do-over in order to believe that tomorrow can be different. And that's what God offers us. And somebody who's got pain from relationships in the past, that's a fantastic offer. God's the only one who can offer it to you, by the way, to give you the opportunity to begin again, to say that, hey, from this day forward, Things are going to change. And so that's what we've been trying to do is get that mindset. Uh, The mindset that God offers that is from this day forward. Because he doesn't care about your past. He's not concerned with it. He's like, all that's done. In fact, Jesus paid the price for all of that. It's just from here forward that he cares about. And so we've been trying to get that through this series. And we've been looking at one key verse that has helped us understand this. And it's from Lamentations. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Basically, he's talking about, I remember my failed relationships. I remember the mistakes that I've made. And anytime I think about them, I get depressed. Well, duh. That's why you don't think about those things, right? That's why you don't sit there and and meditate on the past and think about how bad things have been. You don't want to do that. 
Because when you do, it causes you, to, it causes you to be polarized. Polarized means you're stuck. You lose hope, and you begin to think, well, that's who I am because that's what happened then, and you get frozen where you're at. You lose hope, and you can't move forward. And so this is what he's saying has happened. We all understand that. We all know the depression that comes. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What's he saying? He said, there's something I need to remember. And for us, that's, that's what we're trying to do is gain a different mindset. Yet this I call to mind. We need to have a different mindset as we approach this because if we do, we'll have hope. He said, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Another translation says that his mercies never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So, so God doesn't, in our relationship with him, doesn't give us what our sins deserve. No, he instead gives us grace. He withholds from us what we do deserve. That's called mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve, and that's called grace. And that's the love of God for us. He's not concerned about your past. He's concerned from this day forward. So we need to receive that. We need to approach our relationships with that kind of attitude. And then if we do, there's five things that we need to commit to doing. And these are God's way of doing things. And I need your help. We've been talking about them the last five weeks. They're represented by the icons up here on the screen or on the wall. So help me out. Week one was? Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try again. I'm going to need your help. I need everybody to play along. It's more fun when you do that, all right? So, so first one is? Yeah, there we go. Next one? Yep. And last one? Never give up. So it's seek God. We talked about the importance of seeking God because most of us start off our dating relationship or even our marriage relationship with the idea of I'm going to seek my one, that one person who completes me. That I'm going to find them and they're, they're the one. And if you're seeking that person, you're going to find that everything you're looking for in them to be is actually what you need God to be in your life because they can't be it. They can't be it. And so we said, our one is not our spouse. Our one is God. He's our priority relationship. And then together, we're to seek him together. And we talked about practical ways that you can do that together. The second commitment is, is fight fair. It's not about if you get into a fight, because let's be honest, it's when you fight. You're going to fight. And when you fight, it's important how you do it, because are you fighting for your marriage, like to save it? to bring resolution, or are you just fighting in your marriage so that you can have victory over your spouse and win? Which are you doing? It's important how you do it. And so we talked about practical ways to do that, and the third week is, is of course, have fun. Listen, you all got together in the first place because you were having fun. There's not a single one of you that can look at me and say, Aaron, the reason I married this person is because they're boring. <laughs> Nobody's gonna say that. You got together in the first place because you had some kind of fun together and you continued to have fun. And then when you got married, something shifted and you just stopped having fun. And I'm gonna tell you, if you stop having fun in your marriage relationship, you won't have a marriage very long. It's this truth. Then last week we talked about staying pure and how important it is for us to really, really be cautious and think about what we're letting into our eye gate, into our ear gate, and how we're carrying out the passions that we have in our hearts and lives that it's important that our passions have parameters, that it's important that we not live like the world, because again, if we live like the world, let everything into our life like the world does, then we're gonna get the world's results. Today we're gonna talk about never ever giving up. Now why is this value included and why is it the one we wrap up with? Well, 
because you're going to feel like giving up. Every relationship has that moment. You come to a place and you're like, I'm done. I'm, I'm at the limit of my grace. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to fix it. And more and more couples, when they get to that place where they feel like they're at a loss, leave divorce on the table as an option. And that just boggles my mind. Because every single one of you, if you got married here and you have very tradition here in the state of Ohio, or you're legally married and you, you had vows, traditional vows, those traditional vows typically say, I choose you to be my spouse, to have and to hold in sickness and health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. Now that's a long-term commitment. That's a permanent, unconditional commitment. That says regardless of how things are gonna go in our life, I'm in it. And yet so many people leave divorce on the table. It's almost like they're going, psych, I have my fingers crossed. I didn't mean it. I was just saying all that in the wedding because it's poetic and romantic and it sounds nice, but I didn't really mean it. Like I, I'm, I'm only in this until things get bad and then when they get bad, I'm out. They don't wanna say divorce is off the table and, and that's, just, that's just the world today. That, that's our world. It was interesting, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, which both of them are now uh, passed on and in heaven, but Ruth Graham was asked her question. She said, they, they said, do you ever get mad at Billy? Because he's out on the road. Billy Graham's a, a, a very famous evangelist who hold big crusades, and he passed away a couple weeks ago. Uh, and they said, they said, do you ever get mad at Billy for being gone so long? And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, he leaves me here with the kids. He's constantly on the road. I hardly ever see him. You know, I love him, but, yeah, I get mad at him. They said, do you ever think about divorcing him? And she says, divorce? Absolutely not. Now, murder, that's one thing, you know, and so... <laughs> She took divorce off the table, and since we're talking about it, murder should probably come off the table, too. I just want you to know that. It's just, you know, those are two things God's like, eh, probably not, you know, so. But why, why do we move towards divorce? Well, the reason we move towards divorce is because it's something we talked about in week two. It's conflict. You are wired way different than your spouse, you, are, you think way different from your spouse. You have strengths that your spouse does not have. In fact, when you were dating, you were like, oh my gosh, you're never gonna believe it. Like, I'm weak in this area, but they're strong in this area. And it just, they complete me. We're, we're just the whole together. And that's really awesome. You thought it was cute while you were dating because see, when you're dating, opposites attract. But as soon as you get married, opposites attack. I'm just saying, that's the way it goes, all right? And so that's stuff. Let me just kind of prove it to you, all right? <laughs> this, this is where the conflict comes from, because you're different. So let me kind of prove it to you. Let's just take a quick poll. I need everybody to play along, all right? Everybody to play along. Uh, if, if, if you're in a rela relationship right now or, or not, just play along. How many of you guys are on time? You're, you say, I'm an on-time kind of person, that's it. Now, here's what's hilarious. Did you just see his hand? Boom, straight up, on time, I'm here and present. Thanks, Aaron, you can put your hand down. I appreciate it. Hands straight up. That's how on time people are. Now, how many of you guys are like, go with the flow? I'll get there when I get there. How many of you guys? A hand just now went up. Did you see that? They were sitting back there. They're like. <laughs> just, they just go with the flow. All right, all right, all right. How many of you guys on a journey? You just, you, you're a planner and you just can't wait to get to the destination. Who's that person out there? Okay, all right. And then how many of you guys on the journey? It's all about the journey. Like you want to stop and see every single tree and every single flower. Y'all need deliverance in Jesus' name. I just need you to know. We just need to get there, okay? 
All right, and then how about, how about all the savers? Where are my savers at? You With money, you're a saver. Where are all my spenders? There you are, that's right. Ushers, ushers, pay attention. Make sure the buckets <laughs> get passed. <laughs> if you could just put your hand back up if you're a spender, that's great. I'm calling you later. <laughs> Was he kidding? Me, yeah. But we're different. We're all very different. That's what causes conflict in our relationships. And again, you thought it was cute while you're dating, but now it's just that source of irritation for you, and it's the turmoil that you hit in your relationship. And here's the thing. Everybody's going to hit that kind of stuff. It's important what you do when you hit it. Are you going to go at it with love and grace, or are you going to want to throw in the towel? And Jesus talks about relationships, and he approaches it in a very different way than the world does. Because the world wants you to believe that every relationship is disposable. That, hey, if it's not going well for you, get out. You can just find somebody else. That's what the world wants you to think. But as Christ followers, we have to look at God's word to see what he says about relationships. It's important. So in Matthew 19, check it out, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they're testing him, okay? And this is what they ask him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife For any and every reason. So they're asking him a question because it's currently counterculture what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about love and respect, and they're trying to ask him, like, hey, is it lawful for for a guy to to put away his wife and, like, be be all done? Now, what's funny is, is that's our current culture today in America. You know that? You used to have to have a reason, infidelity, or they ran off, or abuse, or whatever the reason was. You had to list a reason. Nowadays, you can just get divorced for any reason whatsoever. It doesn't matter. And that's what they're asking. Hey, do you think it's lawful? Is it okay? Can this happen? And in their culture, what you needed to understand was that divorce was, was treated very differently than we do today. See, women in that time were considered possessions. They weren't considered equals. And the man would carry the, the wedding do- or the, uh, the marriage certificate in his pocket. And if he wanted a divorce, he could present it, rip it up, and be all done. And they were done for any reason at all. And this is what was happening in that current culture. So this is basically what's happening. The guys are walking around, and you know, his wife maybe says something back to him or sarcastic, sarcastic comment, like, at, at, I'm going to pull this out. I'm going to take it, I'm, at. It's a very different culture. Some of you guys are like, man, where's that culture at? I'm moving that way. You don't want to move there. Don't do that. But the guys could just be all done for any reason at all. And so they're testing Jesus. And here's what Jesus had to say. He said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And for this reason, a male will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, he's not talking about the contractual being made one, like you get from the state of Ohio when you get married here. You get a contract. He's not talking about that. He's also not talking about sexual intimacy, where you become one through that process. No, he's speaking to a spiritual thing that happens, where when you come together and get married, that you become one flesh. You become one. And if you won something, or if you won them, there's a bond that's created, and that's what Jesus is talking about. It's like taking two pieces of paper and gluing them together, letting that bond set up. If you were to try to unwind them or separate them, there's going to be a ripping and tearing. You're going to mangle both pieces of paper. It's an ugly situation. Some of you here today know that pain. I know that pain. I had a marriage that lasted less than a year. 
I understand it. Some of you know that pain. It hurts. And you know exactly what Jesus is saying is true. Is that, that is painful when it happens. Now listen, if you're here today and you've gone through a divorce, I want to make sure that, that I'm clear, that I'm not bringing any condemnation on you. I, I've, I've been through it, and if you've gone through it, I know how painful it is, and I want you to know that God has something for you here today too. I'm also not telling you that if you're in an abusive relationship, physically or emotionally, if it's abusive, I'm, not, I'm also not telling you that you need to stay in that relationship either. In fact, I'm an advocate more often for separation, not divorce, but separation while there is healing so that you can be restored together, amen? And so just, just understand, when I'm talking about this, we're talking about ripping people apart because God knows that that's not gonna be a pleasant process. He knows that, that, that if you go through that, that, that is going to hurt. It's going to rip when you unwind those that have, the two that have become one. So that's why Jesus says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. He's calling us to understand the seriousness of the relationship. In fact, he's the one that created the bond, and he understands how serious it is and how painful it is for us to be separated. So what do we have to do about that? How do we respond to this? Well, what we need to do is understand God's way, and we understand God's thoughts on marriage. And we need to make a fresh commitment from this day forward that our relationships are not disposable that we need to be in them. In fact, we need to realize today that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. That marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Now, maybe a contract between you and your mortgage company is okay. Like a stacks of paperwork, because what it does is it outlines how you're going, it keeps each, each party in the, uh, in the contract honest. It says, listen, if you don't make your payments, this is what we're going to do. These are the steps that we'll go through to remedy. And then if we have to go all the way to court, this is what it's going to cost you. And you're the ones that are going to pay. Like it lays out all the recourses, right? It says, this is exactly what's going to happen. And it, it defends their rights and your rights. That's what the contract is all about. But that's not how marriage is supposed to be. We're not supposed to approach it with a contract mindset. Because if we do, it makes marriage a disposable relationship, and that's not what it is. Marriage is a covenant. So what is a covenant? Well, the word covenant literally means to cut. In other words, it refers to a blood relationship. It's a blood covenant, a blood promise. You are promising to be with them. It's a permanent relationship is what you're doing. And so that's what they used to do in old days. When you got married, they would cut your hand, and that relationship would be formed out of blood. They would put a cord around them and say, what God has put together, let no man pull asunder. Let, let, like this is, they're going to do this. This is a blood promise today. In fact, in biblical times, what they used to do was they'd, they'd cut up a bull and lay out the pieces right at the wedding. And they would grab hands and they would walk in between one of those pieces. And then they made a vow and a promise to each other. They said, let what's happened to the bull happen to us if we don't keep our promises that we've made here today. Now that's intense. And I know that sounds a little disgusting, but it kind of makes me hungry a little bit, you know, because beef. <laughs> but, but you understand the picture is beautiful, isn't it? it it's, it's very, very clear what it's saying. That principle is there. And that's why Jesus said the night before he went to the cross, he says this. Luke 22, he says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He was trying to demonstrate and help them understand the permanency of the relationship he was getting ready to create with them. 
This is a permanent, unconditional relationship that I'm getting ready to create with you. I'm making a covenant that will be sealed by blood with you. That's what Jesus is trying to let them know. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to do all that. I'm getting into the ultimate relationship with you that is unconditional and permanent. And because of that, we understand that marriage is a covenant relationship. We can say this, that marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. It's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Basically, it says that I know you're going to mess things up. I know that things are going to go wrong, and I know that we're not going to get along. But on that day, I'm committed. I'm in this relationship. We're going to find resolution. That means that you can fight and have conflict, but there's some security in that conflict. Some people don't say anything. They don't speak their hearts because they're worried that if they shared what was going on in their heart, if they shared the conflict that was there in the relationship, that the person would leave. That's a contractual relationship. That's not a covenant relationship. And so there's some security there that you can actually deal with the issues in your life together because you know you're both in it for each other. So that's the power of a covenant relationship. And when we have a covenant relationship with each other, this beauty begins to enter into our relationship. In fact, the power of God enters in as well because he's gonna help us do what we couldn't do on our own when we have a covenant relationship. In fact, the covenant relationship that God made with us, God was so serious about it. Do you know that when he made the, the covenant and promised us he didn't wait on us to decide whether we were gonna accept that covenant. In other words, when Jesus was laid out on the cross, there laid the spikes on his wrist, and before they drove one, he didn't say, whoa, 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 stop, hang on. Is anybody out there gonna receive me if I do this? Hey, is anybody gonna receive my love? Is anybody gonna accept forgiveness? Eternity in heaven, is anybody gonna receive this? He didn't ask. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he died. He didn't ask us. He said, I'm serious about this. I'm in this, whether they are or not. In fact, you want to see some conflict? Jesus, who loved us so much, was being killed by the very people that he loved. And in the middle of that conflict, because seriously, I mean, if your spouse is trying to kill you, are you going to be like Jesus and go, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do? That's his love on display for us because that's what he did. He didn't come at him. He didn't try to kill him. He said, forgive him. That's how serious he's in. He's in an unconditional covenant relationship with us. If we were to look at our lives, all of us have given God a reason, even just this week, to bail on us. But he hasn't. He's in this forever. His mercies are new every morning, and he's not going everywhere, anywhere. And when we receive that, when we receive his grace, when we receive his mercy and his love, what happens is it transforms us and actually even empowers us. In fact, 1 John says that, that we don't love him, we didn't love him first, he loved us first. And that's the reason we're able to love him. In other words, I didn't even know how to love until I received God's love. So when you receive God's grace and you receive God's mercy and you receive his love, it enables you and empowers you to be able to give it to somebody else. And you don't get to do that until you've received that from God. That's the power of the cross in a covenant relationship. So let me spend just a few moments. I want to share with you the difference between a covenant and a contract. First is a covenant 
is based on mutual commitment. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. You know, people talk about commitment, but it's not really a commitment to that relationship if you've got a line in the sand that says, if you ever cross this line, I'm out of here. Well, that's not a commitment. That, that, that's just not a commitment. When things aren't going well, I'm gone. That, that's not commitment. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy for a while while you work it out. Hello? Are you hearing me? It means being willing to be unhappy for a while while you work it out. Most people aren't willing to do that. The moment they get unhappy, it's deuces and duck lips. I'm gone. But that's not what a covenant relationship is. Covenant relationship says, I'm in. I'm going to work on it. See, here's the deal. You don't need commitment for the good days. It's easy to be committed on a good day. You need commitment on the bad days. That's exactly when you need it. Because what a covenant says is, I'm committed to the relationship. Now, a contract, though, a contract is based on mutual distrust. That's why there's lots of pages in the mortgage contract, because they're going to lay out every single thing, every, every little bit that they want to protect. Every response to what you do is laid out in a contract. And we take this kind of attitude and we transfer it to our relationships. In fact, many marriages start off with a prenuptial agreement, which means that, hey, I'm not really sure you're in this for me. I'm not really sure you're in this for the long haul. And I got stuff that I like probably a little better than you, and I want to protect it. So, I'm going to get a prenup, and if you leave me, I'm going to leave with all my stuff, okay? So, this is what we do. We enter into our relationships not trusting the other person right off the start. In fact, I've even heard uh, of a couple who rewrote their vows. They rewrote their vows instead of saying, to have and to hold in sickness and health till death do us part. They, They didn't say all that. They said, I will love you. Let me see. I got it right here. said, I will love you. I promise to be faithful as long as I love you. (laughs) And how many of you know that's not really going to be a long time? (laughs) Because I mean, like, it's easy. (laughs) Like, stuff gets bad, and you're like, I don't feel love right now. That's not how I'm feeling. It's not always easy. In fact, the word honeymoon, do you know what it means? It means sweet month. And when that month is over, it ain't sweet no more. It's life. You know what I mean? All the married couples said, amen. Yeah, it's just true. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not enjoyable, but, you know, life happens. So the second thing is the covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. A covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. Now, this flies in the face of current culture that is so entitled to everything. That I deserve this. Because I'm breathing, you should do this. Or I have to, you got to, and it's all about what they get. But this, that's not what a covenant is. They're like, I, I, I deserve to be happy, and you're not making me happy, so I'm out. I, I'm gone. I'm not putting up with this. But a covenant gives our lives to the other person. It is literally a surrendering of yourself to the other person, laying down your rights and assuming responsibilities, sacrificially so. In fact, the Bible, guys, let me help you. The Bible, when specifically speaking to men about how they're to love their wives, do you know what it says? It says you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Now, what does that mean? That means sacrificially. See, Jesus was enthroned in heaven. 
He left the glory of heaven, the rest of heaven, got up off his throne, humbled himself, and came to this earth to live as a man. And then he laid down his life and died for the church. Now listen, guys, I'm not saying you necessarily have to die for them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess if that's what it requires, but it's literally a laying down of your life, of your rights, of your preferences, and living sacrificially for her. That's the standard the Bible calls us to, to love them the way Christ loved the church. And that's a covenant. But a contract, a contract protects rights and shirks responsibility. A covenant has the interest of the other person in mind. That's what a covenant has. It's not interested in what it can get out of the relationship. It's only interested in serving the other person's need. And when you approach your relationship this way, like a covenant, where you're interested in serving the other person, what happens is you create a reciprocal cycle where you are meeting each other's needs. Because if they're in it to meet your needs and you're in it to meet their needs, it, all of your needs will be met on a regular basis by each other. That's the way a covenant relationship goes. But a contract has personal convenience in mind. It says, I'm gonna stay with this as long as it's good for me. Once it stops being good for me, I'm gonna go ahead and go. The first time it's bad, I'm out. But God is calling us today through his word. He's calling us today to a covenant blood relationship. And it's a shift that we will have to make in our thinking to get away from approaching our relationships like the world does as disposable. So we need to define our relationships the way God does, as a blood in, blood out kind of relationship. It's a blood, it's a covenant and a, and a promise that is formed based on blood, and it's till death do you part. It's blood out. The kind of relationship that we're to have with our spouse is the kind of relationship that we have with our kids. It's a very special one. How many of you, if your kids, they ran off, or they were upset with you, or they were hurt by you, or there was something that separated you from your kid? How many of you would pursue your children? You absolutely would. You're not going to let them run away from you. You're going to pursue them. Why? Because they're your kids. Because they're your blood. And that's the way we need to pursue our spouse and our relationship. They may not be blood, but we're to treat them like they are, like a blood covenant relationship. So we need to refer to our relationships the way God does. Not as a contract, but as a covenant. And this is why the Bible says this. And Malachi says, so be on your guard. Which, by the way, that phrase is there at the beginning to help us understand something. It's at the beginning of the verse and it's at the end of the verse. It's important that when the Bible starts repeating itself that you pay attention. And it says to be on your guard. Guys, that doesn't mean that you just sit around and flex all the time. That's not what it's saying to do. Don't, don't stand around and flex. It means be on your guard. Why? Because here is the opportunity for you to lose the most. Be on your guard. There is something that is threatening a way of life that you have. Be on your guard. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Be on guard. And do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I know that's a big verse, so let me kind of break it down real quick. The man who hates, so what does that mean? 
Something's happened. Something hurtful has happened that he doesn't agree with. Something that she's done or something that's happened in life is causing some turmoil in the relationship. And he's not in a place that he's loving anymore. Something's happened. The man who hates and divorces his wife does violence, does violence to her. And it's the one that he should protect. See, what's the Bible saying? It's saying, hey, listen, when stuff happens, because things are going to happen, when that person makes a mistake, when there's a reason for you to walk out, walking out's not the choice. You do violence to them when, you're to, when, when that happens and you hate them because they're the ones you're supposed to protect. I mean, even in the tough stuff, yeah. In fact, in the middle of a situation where there is some pain caused by the other person, you know the best thing you can do? Run out that situation with love. Run at it with grace. Don't beat them up. Don't be mad at them. Love them. See, it's love that doesn't give people what they deserve. It gives them what they need. Oh, that was so good. I might preach it to myself a little later, put this on repeat. (laughs) Love does not give you what you deserve. It gives you what you need. And in this moment, he's saying, guys, be on your guard. Because you're going to want to just be all done. That's the wrong way to go about it. Your role is to shun them. It's to run at them with love. And I'm going to tell you, in my relationship with my wife, time and time again, I've given her reason to throw the towel in. Time and time again, she's given me reason to throw the towel in. And this becomes one of, the, one of the places in my life where when I'm praying and I'm talking to God, I'm so thankful that I'm still married to this day because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve her to love me. I don't deserve to have her in my life. And if she were in here, she'd give me a big amen to that. I don't deserve her. Just don't. And it's a point of praise where I just thank God so much for his grace in our lives. That instead of being mad at each other, we approach each other with love and give each other what we need in those moments where we've had to confess some things. We've had to share some hurts. Where we've had to apologize and say we were sorry. That God has given us that grace in those situations. Because we all have that moment where we think the other person's gonna bail where they're out of here. Because we're all gonna do something. We're all gonna give them a reason for that. It's important what you do when that happens. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Why? Because you're gonna feel like bailing. You're absolutely gonna feel like giving up. So what do we do? I'm gonna give you these three things you can do and I'm gonna, I'm gonna close and I'll be brief. To show we're committed, to show that we're willing to be unhappy while we work it out, Here's what we can do. There's three things we can do to reaffirm that relationship. The first thing we can do is we can make the choice to love. You can make the choice to love. You say, but, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel like loving. <sighs> Look, love is not a feeling. It has feelings, but love is not a feeling. So choose it. Choose love. If you want a perfect example, when your kid is up puking in the middle of the night and you're having to hold the trash can 
and a cold washcloth, and you've already got a terrible gag reflex, and you're losing sleep, that doesn't feel good. But it's very loving. That's what love is. Love holds the trash can. Love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. So choose love. Choose love. The Bible tells us to do that, to choose love. In fact, I can help you in so many areas of your life by just telling you this. Choices lead and feelings will follow. Your choices will lead and your feelings will follow. You want good feelings? Choose love. Choose love. They'll follow. And that's why Colossians says it this way. It says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Look, it doesn't say, it doesn't say have love. It describes love like a coat that you put on. And each and every single one of you chose to get dressed, thank God, and come here this morning. You chose to put something on, whether it was chosen for you or picked out for you by a spouse is a whole other thing, but you chose to put on some clothes and come here. And that's how he describes love. Put on love. Choose it. Love is a choice. Second thing we can do is is we need to prioritize our relationships. Now, we went through a whole series called First Things First here recently that talked about priorities. And if you missed it, you can listen to all those things. But I just want to tell you, if you want to have a death-do-us-part relationship, that, that relationship is going to take some maintenance. It's going to take you pouring into that relationship. And if I want to be married to my wife until either one of us dies, it's going to take us prioritizing each other. And we talked about that in week, two, or in week three about how to have fun and how important that is. Because here's what you need to know, and you'll learn this from that whole series, is that whatever we prioritize, the rest of it gets blessed. That's why when we're talking about in our relationship with God, that we give of the first fruits of what we have because the first gets the rest of it blessed. It honors God. We give the first of our day by praying because that, that blesses the rest of it. We honor God first. We honor our spouse first. It blesses the rest of our relationship. It, it's just important that we do that. I had coffee with a friend on Saturday, and I asked him uh, how he's doing. He said, man, I'm having the greatest year of my life. And I said, really, tell me about that, unpack that. And he said, well, he said, I'm just, I'm having a great year relationally, a great year spiritually. And I said, what would you attribute that to? And he said, man, he said, I gotta tell you, he said, it's the priority thing. He said, I learned that this year. I learned how to prioritize things. I said, tell me more about that. He said, well, he said, used to be in the morning when I got up, he said, I'd go and I'd get breakfast and then I'd do whatever I wanted to do. Sometimes that meant going back to bed. I said, well done, that's a good day. Get up, had breakfast, went back to bed. Come on, somebody. Especially a big breakfast. Good Lord, we'll, hold on, we'll just leave that alone. But <laughs> he said, it was just about me. He said, but since learning this whole priority thing, he said, now I get up in the morning, he said, before I have breakfast, He said, I grabbed my Bible and I spent some time with Jesus. I was like, dude, that's awesome. He said, but wait, there's more. He said, now you know what I do? He said, after I spend some time with Jesus, he said, I prioritize my relationship with my wife. I said, what does that mean? He said, I do something for her. It's a chore maybe that she's asked me to do or sometimes it's just something nice and unexpected for her. I said, that's awesome. He said, wait, there's more. He said, and then before I eat breakfast, he said, I reach out to a friend, ask him if I can pray for him or just to offer them an encouraging word. He said, and then I do something for me. And I said, wait a minute. I said, so you prioritize 
your relationship with God, then it's your spouse, then it's other people, and then yourself. I said, dude, I want to be like you. I love that. I love it. Priorities make a difference, man. And it blesses the rest. In fact, that's why Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom, his way of doing things. And his righteousness and all the things that you want, they'll be given to you. They'll be given to you. Galatians, it says this. Do not be deceived. That says that because it's possible for you to be deceived. It says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Listen, if you don't like what you're getting in your relationship right now with your spouse, what are you sowing? What are you pouring into that relationship? Is it cold? Have you been making that relationship a priority? Have you been investing in it? You say, yeah, but the grass is green everywhere else. It's green everywhere else because they water it. Just water your own lawn. Pour into it there. You have to sow into the relationship and make it a priority. The verse continues and says, let us not weary in doing good. Some of you are like, yeah, but he's a jerk or she's a nag and you don't know how hard it is, Aaron. And Look, I'm not telling you to be like a doormat and get beat up all the time, but I'm telling you don't give up. I'm telling you regardless of how they behave, continue to love. Continue to pour into that relationship. Continue to do good. Why? It says, for the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't ever give up. Never, ever give up. And this last thing I want to share with you, I can put it at the end of every single message that I do. It's a principle that, that we all need in every area of our lives. But the thing is, 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 see, we all want God's best. But in order to have God's best, we need God's power. We gain his power through relationship with him. And that's why this last thing is so important that we do it. But we need that relationship in order to do it. And the last thing is that we trust God. We just trust God. We need his power to do all these things. And we've gotta be in relationship with him and just trust him for it. Psalms 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Let's pray. If you're here today and you're with your spouse, would you just reach over and grab hands right now? I just wanna pray for you. Father, right now I lift up every marriage and relationship in this room. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one of them, God. Lord, I pray for protection. I pray for unity. Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would abound in that relationship. I pray that forgiveness would come quickly and easily. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be softened towards each other. Knit them together, God, with bonds that cannot be broken. Lord, I pray for those right now that are wanting to throw in the towel, those that are ready to give up. Lord, I pray that hope would rise in their heart, that today could be the moment that they push the reset button and get a blank page that from this day forward, you'll give them the power that they need to have a different marriage, a different relationship in Jesus' name. And God, I pray for us that as we seek you, as we fight fair, as we have fun, as we stay pure, and as we endeavor to never give up, God, that it would honor you, and in so doing, you would give us your power to do this, because we certainly need your strength. And if you're here today and you're without your spouse, I just lift you up as well, or maybe, maybe you're here and you've, you're, you're divorced, you're single again. I just want you to know that God has something for you, and I want to pray fresh hope for you today. Fresh hope for you today. And Lord, I lift up all of our singles, and God, I, I pray that as they endeavor to 
become completed by you to build up their hearts and their thinking. Lord, may all of it be built on your word so that when they enter into the relationship, they can enter in strong and complete in you, not needing another person for that, but trusting in you. Jesus' name. And as we continue to pray, I know there's people in this room that you realize God's commitment to you is stronger to you than your commitment to him. In fact, you'd say, Aaron, I'm here and I'm, I go to church. I hang out with Christians from time to time, but I'm not all in. And today I need to be all in. Maybe you've made this commitment before, but you've drifted. And that happens. It happens to us all at times. But today is your moment. It's your opportunity to say, Aaron, I'm in. I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna go all in again. I need to push that reset button and I need to pray that prayer. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. I'll give you the words to pray. And I don't need you to stand up or come to the front and say anything. I just wanna know that you're here. And you can let me know, Aaron, include me on that prayer just by lifting up your hand. In fact, if that's you, go ahead and do that now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Anybody else? Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about the people around you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yep, yeah, awesome, awesome. Proud of you, that's great. Listen, church, we're gonna pray together. Nobody prays alone, there's no need to. Let's pray out loud. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. And today I ask you that from this day forward, I would be different. That my life would be changed. I pray that you forgive me and make me brand new. Show me how to live for you and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.